Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Disruption Blueprint was previously known as War Room Huddle. Please continue to enjoy this content as you build your practice for the future. Welcome to War Room Huddle, where we empower independent advisors to be the CEO of their practice, not the COO. Today, you are in for a Texas treat. We are joined in the studio by Mark Green, the founder and CEO of GFG Wealth Advisors out of College Station, Texas. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, and whoop, giggle. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have some fun today. Uh, You know, we always want to use this time to really just dig in and understand you understand your practice, understand how you're thinking about the industry. And what I'm really excited about is you've been in the business a long time. So you really do have a perspective of where we've come. And then you've very intentionally made the decision to become independent. So you've clearly got your eye on where we're headed. So let's just start by setting us up. Tell us about your practice, how long you've been in the business and and, and really your origin story. Sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. And uh, But yeah, 36 years in the business. I started in 1985, and I started in an operations center with a, a major firm and uh, did that for four or five years. And they were shutting down the service center in Dallas where I worked. And Sherry and I, my wife and I, had to make a decision. Did we want to move to Lock, uh, Lakewood, Colorado? Or did we want to stay local? What do we want to do? And we chose to move to Bryan College Station, Texas from Dallas. And so we did that in 1990, had a baby three months later. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. But I got on the sales side in 1994. And I've been at every major firm, it seems like. I'm moving, uh, you know, every seven or eight years. And uh, just was really getting restless with things that were going on, the headline risk with major firms and that sort of thing, things that I couldn't control, things, decisions that CEOs were making and decisions that back office operations were making and things that I couldn't control. And so uh, fast forward to 2017, Sherry retired from uh, a local CBS affiliate where she was a uh, sales advertising executive. She wanted to do something else because that was changing as well. And so she wanted to do something else and she couldn't determine what she wanted to do or we couldn't figure out something, you know, that really fit her. And then uh, the bank brokerage firm that I was with did some crazy things. And and I decided and I guess we started talking in probably late 2018, or early 2019. And in May of 2019, I made the decision to uh, make the move to RFG. So the the decision to become independent after a career that's been spent in the wirehouse channel and the big bank channel, what what did that mean to you? What were you seeking as you were thinking about and and, and really envisioning independence? Being my own person, I mean, being my own advisor, making my own decisions, um, having a partner rather than having a boss. And it seemed that 
all the major brokerage firms that I've been at, and, and I've been at most all of them, you name them, and, and I've been there. And it just seemed like the edicts came down from above that we couldn't control. And with RFG, you know, you don't believe it until you experience it. And I was scared to make the move just like anybody else was. You know, I've got a decent-sized book. It's it's not huge, but it's not small. I was worried about my clients making the transition. I was worried about having moved uh, every place I've been and them having to move one more time and having to tell the story of why why here, why now. And RFG just fit. And uh, I will tell you that, that everything you've said, everything that you guys did, and everything you continue to do for me, I made absolutely the best decision. It's so great to hear. It warms my heart. Yeah. Uh, your clients, and that's always on the very top of every advisor's mind, obviously, when they're when they're making a move. And I think it's particularly it's particularly pressing when you're not independent because you really start to run into this situation where I feel like advisors reach a tension point where they're wanting to serve their clients in the way that they deserve to be served, whether that's through their marketing and social media presence, whether it's through the amount of planning they can do, whether it's the ability to manage the grandchildren's account and not being subject to, you know, artificial limitations. Is, was, that ex, was that part of your experience? Like you reached that tension point where you just felt like, gosh, if I'm going to be in this business for another 10, 15, 20 years, I need to start thinking about how I'm serving my clients differently. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would say probably top of mind for me, and just like every advisor who's made a transition, I've made four or five of them, is who is going to make the move with you? And how hard is it going to be to explain why here, why now? And so that was absolutely top of mind for me because it was very important to me to take the relationships with me that were important to me. And, you know, and and it had nothing to do with with paychecks, had nothing to do with assets. It had to do with the relationships. I've got the first relationship today from the first relationship I ever had in 1994. And now I have the kids and I have the grandkids. And so relationships and family is very important to me. And, and I'd like to talk about that a little later, but um, it, it absolutely was top of mind for me and being able to serve those families with the, with the products and services and the things that I felt like were appropriate, not something that maybe I couldn't offer at another firm or that I had to offer at another firm. Uh, that was very important to me. Let's just stay stay in that because that's such a big part. That was, I remember when we first sat down and you use that word family over and over and over again. It's, you know, your clients are your family. You want to take care of that, that next generation and the, and the generation quite honestly after that. So it being, how does being family focused really influence your practice, influence your service model? What have you done differently when you've been freed up to have that lens on family that you weren't able to do before or that you had hoped to do that you're doing now? You know, I'm not sure that I do anything any different. It's just maybe I focus a little more on it. Maybe it's something that that's dear to me because I do have two girls uh, that are important to me, obviously. And, and I want to make sure they're taken care of when something happens to mom and dad. And I'm the same way with my practice. I want to treat my clients and their kids the same way I treat my wife and my family and my dad and, you know, my grandparents and that sort of thing. And so when I think about serving clients, I think multi-generational. 
you know, my prospecting list, and it's somebody else's idea. You know, they, they say that some of the best ideas come from someone else. It's not me. It's not original. But some of my prospect list, when a client comes in or a prospect comes in and sits down in front of me, we talk just like you and I are talking. And I find out about their family. I let them talk. If you give per, a person an opportunity, just like you're giving me an opportunity, you give them an opportunity to talk, they're going to talk about themselves. And so I do, and I listen, and I find out about their kids. I find out about their kids' husbands. I find out about their grandkids. I start asking about birthdays and about anniversaries, and I'm taking notes. And I ask permission to take notes. I, is it okay if I take notes? Absolutely. And they're prospects, okay? So when they turn into clients, I've got all this information, and whether they're beneficiaries or not beneficiaries of IRA accounts or whatever, I have now got my prospect list of multi-generational people. And if a, a grandkid is two years old, I send them a birthday letter every year. And so when they turn 19, it's like, you've handled my parents, or you've handled my grandparents here. Will you handle me? You know, will you take care of this little bit that I have? And it may be $500, but eventually it turns into something, you know, more substantial. And you've taken care of not only mom and dad, grandparents, you know, kids, uh, grandkids. It just, it, it's, it's very important to me. The, the, the relationship that ends up establishing that as a client, the primary relationship, and then all of a sudden now you've opened up and you have all these prospects and the multi-generational, do they tend to want to be informed about how you're interacting with that next gen? Are they in the loop on that? Do you keep everybody informed about how you're how intentional you are about wanting to serve multiple generations you know it just depends on the family and depends on the person you know i've got great brand or grandparents that have fully funded kids educations and they want to know you know are you contacting them are you contacting my family i've got other uh, parents that'll call and say hey my kids are grown one of them's in california one of them's in uh, dallas one of them's in houston and i'd like for you to reach out this thing that you sold me 10 years ago it, i think it's good for them because it's done so well i want you to call them and so it just depends there's others that say you know here's my beneficiaries and they never say another thing about it and they get together for christmas or you know thanksgiving or get together and i'm sure they talk about it but i never hear about it so it's just the fact that i'm doing it and i continue i'm consistent with it and it, it's paid big dividends i think this is one of the the biggest areas of opportunity for advisors i mean we are in the midst of this generational wealth transfer and it's it's surprising to me when i talk to advisors and they don't have that lens of being multi-generational and i think part of the reason why is that Advisors get really busy in the day-to-day, -day. and the, the statistic's pretty shocking. About 41% of an advisor's time is spent on non-revenue-generating activities, so spent on either operational activity or on portfolio management, and any minute that you're not spending in, in, in deepening that one-to-one -one relationship with a client or prospecting is a non-revenue-generating activity, is a non-revenue-generating minute. And so in order to have the bandwidth to be able to build a practice that is family-focused, that is multi-generational, where you are so intentional and how you're reaching out to these clients and how you're engaging in those conversations, something's got to give. So you've always had this family frame framework of how you think about your clients, but you haven't always been in a position where you've prioritized your time and that is how you're spending all your time. 
because you have, as you've shared with me, been in the seat where you're the portfolio manager, where you're taking on every other hat, you're doing the operations. So just walk us through that journey. Walk us through like the, the emotional journey of making the decision to, I've been hired to manage my client's account. They expect me to be their portfolio manager. And the realization that if I want to be what they really need me to be, which is their trusted advisor, something's got to give on that. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to talk about that because I started in the business in 1985 on the operation side. So I did what a lot of folks here at RFG are doing for me now. I did that myself. And so in 1994, I took my Series 7, got all my licenses, started uh, on the sales side. And as I progressed, you know, as you start out as a young broker in the, in the pit, as they say, yeah. you know, back in the day, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you start in the pit, you're kind of doing all your own stuff. And so I just got accustomed to it and nobody could do it as well as what I could. They never can. No, ever, ever. ever. You know, I'm, I'm 36 years into this business and nobody does it like I do it. So, and Shannon, to your point, you know, we sat in my VIP meeting in uh, 2019. Y'all had me and Sherry here in March. And I told y'all that I wasn't going to use some of the tools and resources because I did it myself and I could do it better. Yep. Okay. And so, you know, we transition over and, and uh, you know, the entire time from 1994 until coming to RFG, I pretty much did stuff myself. I really did from portfolio management, new account forms to uh, transferring money between accounts, sending checks out, RMD, you name it, I did it. Yep. Okay. Cause I could do it and it'd be, it's just faster for me to do it than to try to train somebody or whatever. That's well, I don't know about ultimate cause it certainly <laughs> affected my production, but, uh, I would say Sherry and I, Sherry's my assistant. I, I don't know that I said that earlier, but yeah, my wife is my assistant and we can go into that later, but uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but, uh, as long as she's the boss and I'm out of the office, we're good. As uh, long as you're listening. that's right. That's right. So, um, you know, I came over in May of nineteen, uh, of 2019, May 31st, 2019, and we transitioned all of our clients over. And I just told Sherry at that time, I said, you know, I know what I said sitting in um, the VIP meeting, but I want to give the steadfast a try. You know, I had a bunch of managed money uh, going through InvestNet and all these different things and looking at the fees and, you know, what Rick was charging, the performance and that sort of thing. And I thought, I'm going to send him an account or two. So I did and looked at the performance and he's making trades, he's keeping in contact. And I thought, this is a pretty good leverage. And, you know, I'm not a real smart guy, but when you leverage your resources, you become much more effective because you can do more. And so I was at a point to where clients were calling and saying, hey, why aren't we buying this or why aren't we buying that? And and what, you know, what's going to be the next big thing and what's the market going to do and all that sort of stuff. And in the meantime, I'm trying to grow my practice and I'm trying to manage and just do all the things. And I just realized something's got to give. It's either going to give or I'm going to have a heart attack, right. one or the other. I mean, really, truly. And so I have pretty much turned my entire practice over as much as I can because I do have some accounts that I can't because of capital gains and things like everybody else does. But I've, I've leveraged all the resources RFG has, technology, um, I'm implementing steadfast as fast as I can, and it has really freed me up to be able to come to, you know, Birmingham and do something like this and, and to be out of the office and, and go find uh, new relationships. And so uh, that was the turning point for me was probably 
mid to late 2019 when I realized moving assets over and, and trying to manage and figure out all the different portfolio managers I was going to use through separate managed accounts. Let's don't do that. Let's leverage what we have. And Rick was a big part of that. Have you gone through the exercise since you've made that transition of really thinking about how much you can grow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I can grow a lot faster than we're growing right now. Um, and along those veins, I'm, I'm looking at expanding my practice right. uh, with, you know, bringing on other people. But um, I know what I'm really good at. And I'm really good at talking and being, you know, in front of people and playing golf and enjoying, you know, the the the, the fun parts. And I don't mind being in the office because I enjoy doing this. And, you know, I'm 56 years old, be 57 in May. And uh, my clients often ask me, you know, what's your transition plan? Mm -hmm. Well, my transition plan is I'm either going to just kill over at my desk uh, or uh, no, no, but, <laughs> but I don't plan on retiring. I enjoy it too much. I love the relationships. And that's why I got in the business is, well, that's not true. I got in the business because a girl I was dating in 1985 didn't want to date a blue collar worker. It had to be a white collar <laughs> worker. And so, uh, but uh, neither here nor there. I, uh, uh, I, I just, I love the relationships. I love being around people. I love helping. And uh, it, it's in this business, it's a constant help because there are people out there that really need us. Well, and what's so, you know, what is so true in, in what you said, advisors' superpower is their ability to connect with people. I mean, that's what make, makes this business so great is that you have this tremendous opportunity to really serve. And I think that that is the commonality. Every advisor gets into this business. You know, maybe some don't have the great story of like, well, there's a girl. Yeah. Although I think a lot of them probably have <laughs> an element of, well, there was a girl. But it really is because of a higher calling. I want to help people. I'm, I'm, in, you know, I'm interested in the market and I want to help people. And and what is so great is in, in affiliating with RFG and, and leveraging into a platform and really recognizing like, how you can prioritize your time to maximize those relationships and grow, you start to be able to think about like, well, I want to retire, but yes, I do need a succession plan. Yes, I do want to bring other advisors into my practice. I want that next gen there. I want that junior advisor to be able to have the relationship with the millennial client. So you just get to start like really building longevity and legacy into what what might have been before you became independent, more of just a career. Yeah, true. You know, it, again, I, I've transitioned from doing it all myself to letting go of that, and I'm not sure that anybody can manage my clients the way that I can, so i got to get there. <laughs> but now, you know, I, I see myself dealing with maybe the top 10 or 20 clients and coming in two or three times a week and then continuing to leverage what I enjoy most, and that is the relationship with my clients. I mean, it's not unlike me on a Saturday afternoon to call a client and say, hey, Sherry's out of town or whatever, and hey, you want to grab a bite to eat or, or you want to go play golf or you want to – you know, go to a ball game, you know, right. in College Station or whatever. And I'm always constantly looking through my Rolodex. Well, that's an old word, isn't it? <laughs> Scrolling through my phone and, uh, you know, trying to find. Yeah, 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 yeah. Phone. That's right. That's right. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for somebody to go do something with. And it's generally a client that's become a friend yeah. or a friend that became a client. Right, right. Are you an advisor looking to make the move to independence? RFG Advisory is an innovator in the wealth management industry. 
with a winning culture and a fully integrated tech platform designed to help advisors take their practice to the next level. Let us get to know you at rfgadvisory.com. So you brought it up. Uh, you've got one of the coolest stories uh, around in terms of you're based in College Station, home of Texas A&M, the Aggies, and you've had one of the best seats in the house. Uh, tell us about it. I'd love to. Let me go back and tell you how it started. In 1995, um, I met a guy through church. It was a brand new church. We had just gotten started, and he was a choir director. And I'm a piano player, singer, and, and, you know, enjoy music. And we just hit it off. We became friends. And he's, he's a client, by the way. And we were having lunch one day, and we were talking football. And talking to the Aggies, he goes, you really like football. And I said, I love football. And he said, well, do you like high school football? And I said, yeah, I do. You know, played in high school, and, and yeah, I do. And uh, he said, well, I do the A&M Consolidated Football High School Games for the local uh, radio station, uh, 1620 WTAW, would you be interested in being the, the uh, um, spotter and the, the stat guy? I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I did that for three or four years, and we had it set up where, you know, the play-by-play guy, he was play-by-play guy, and then you had the guy that was the um, uh, color commentary, and then I sat in the middle, and I had a headphone, I was talking in their ears. Well, the color guy left and moved away. He said, you've been talking in our ear for years. Why don't you just go ahead and take over? I mean, you're the one that's – been doing it all anyway, so you just take over the color commentary. So I did. We started doing that. Well, then, lo and behold, eh, three years ago, uh, the stadium announcer for uh, Texas A&M University at Kyle Field uh, retired. And so my partner, Mike, he got the job, and he said, now, he called me. He said, I've been offered the job. He said, but I've already told him I'm not going to do it unless you do it because I trust you, and I've got to say this among 100,000 people, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> And so I was the spotter for the stadium announcer uh, for Kyle Field for Texas a uh, Aggie football games. It was really cool. It was I, a lot of fun. Okay, so everybody wants to hear, like, was there a moment where you got it wrong? Like, what was the, what was the oh, stress yeah. like and the stakes like? I mean, that is – I mean, it's Texas, it's football. Now we're at the big leagues, college, Texas A&M. Like, just give us a little bit more color on Okay, that. sure, sure. Well, you, you know, as I say, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, and I will tell you, uh, <laughs> two years ago, it was a game, uh, I believe it was Auburn, and they, the Aggies do this deal where when they get a first down, um, the stadium announcer, Mike Wright, he says, and that's another fight in Texas, Aggie, and then the whole crowd goes, first down. Well, so I'm I'm there, and, and what I do is I say, okay, Isaiah Spiller ran the ball, you know, three yards, tackled by John Smith. Um, it's three-yard pickup, second down seven, okay? Well, this particular time I said, Isaiah Spiller, uh, you know, 11 yards, first and 10 Aggies. And so he goes, Isaiah Spiller with the first with, – with, Isaiah Spiller, 11-yard uh, pickup, and that's another fight in Texas Aggie. And everybody says, first down. Well, then they moved the ball back, and it wasn't a first down, and the whole crowd has said first down. And he just looks at me, you know, just gives me one of those looks like, what have you done to me? And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it happens. You know, at live sports, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. So, but it, it's a lot of fun. Mike has since left. He, uh, he got downsized due to uh, – he, he was also in the program 
uh, there at A&M, uh, like an associate athletic director or something, but he has since left and is now in Huntsville, Alabama oh. as the general manager for a ABC affiliate. Okay. So. All right. So are your announcing days? I still do high school football, okay. but the, the A&M gig is over and it was nice, but it, it's a lot of work. You know, you get there about four hours before game time because you got to be sure you know all the numbers for A&M. You got to know all the numbers for the opposing team. And you got to do pronunciations. I'll tell you, there are some creative people out there with names. Yeah. Okay. Moms, right. moms and dads are very creative with naming their children. And so you got to learn all that, how to pronounce it. You got to meet the other team's athletic director and sport or SID, sports information director, and get pronunciations, give them our pronunciation and that sort of thing. So um, it was fun while it lasted. And I would do it again in a heartbeat, but I don't know that I would want to do it for 10 or 15 because it, it, it's a complete Saturday. I mean, it really is. It's it's a huge time commitment, but I loved it. I was there for the seven overtime game with LSU oh, when yes. A&M won. Yes. And a funny story there real quick. My niece, who is now coming to A&M, she, uh, she was a uh, senior in high school, I believe. Anyway, I got her tickets to the game, her and my sister. And they show up in about six uh, overtimes in. She sends me a text and she says, Uncle Mark, are all the games like this? <laughs> <laughs> Only the good ones. Only, Only the good ones. That's right. That's right. So. Well, that is uh, – it's such a great – it's such a great story, and I can't wait. I've never been to College Station. I still need to come, and I'm dying to see a uh, Texas Well, I still got hookups. We can give you the uh, uh, five-star tour. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit um, because one of the things that really – connected and resonated when we all met for the first time in person is that you've always had, in addition to being family oriented in your practice, you've been faith oriented. And it's something in our industry that we don't tend to really openly discuss, which is the role that faith plays in building our businesses and, and engaging professionally on a day-to-day -day basis. Certainly, it's not something that I'm familiar with, having spent the bulk of my professional career in, in San Francisco on the West Coast. But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how faith has played a role in your life as a financial advisor and then how you leaned on that faith when you were making the decision to become independent. Sure. Yeah. You, you know, I, I guess the, the, the biggest thing for me, and I get a little emotional talking about it, I guess, but... Um, you know, th there's two great commandments, and that is uh, love God and love each other. And so if if I'm not going to do for a client what I would do for myself, then I don't need to be in this business. And so I love my clients. I really do. I mean, I've got a 70-year-old 70 woman who's been divorced for 21 years. Her ex-husband passed away. She called me uh, Easter evening, and I told her, I said, do you realize it's Easter? And she said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I said, no, it's fine. It's fine. If I talked to her for 30 minutes, it's because she was lonely. Yeah. And so, you know, it goes, I take my practice so far beyond managing their money. And, you know, I, I, I heard this before, and, and it's not the reason, but, you know, it's hard to fire your friends, but you can fi fire your advisor. Mm -hmm. And it's not why I do it, but it's so incredibly important to me and, you know, just to back up a little bit, um, I guess it was the late 80s or early 90s, this book came out, The Prayer of Jabez, and it's First Chronicles 4, chapters 9 and 10, and it basically says that, 
you know, it's it's the only time that, that Jabez is ever mentioned in the Bible. And his mother, uh, he was born with a lot of pain. And he said, Lord, bless me and expand my territory. And that just has always hit home with me. And that's how I am. Every morning I wake up, thank God for another day. And I say, Lord, bless me and expand my territory and allow me to help others and use me, you know, let me be a vessel. And so that's what I do. Um, it's just always been an important part of my practice that my, my clients know where I am. And, you know, that's not to say that I preach to them because I don't, I don't, but they know where I, where I stand and what I do. And a lot of them know that I sing, I sing in a quartet. That's kind of a Gaither style, Southern quartet kind of deal. I play piano at church every now and then. And so they know where I am. And some of my clients, when they know I'm doing that, they'll come to my church. And so it's also a way to kind of witness a little bit. So, yeah. so it's, it's kind of cool how it all works out, but you know, my focus is just taking care of my clients and meeting new people and treating them the way that I would want to be treated in the way that I want my mom and dad to be treated. And uh, so it's just, it's kind of evolved. So you mentioned that you start each morning, you start each morning with gratitude. Uh, are you disciplined about being really intentional and how you set your intention for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as I get older, I wake up earlier. I don't know why that happens, but uh, brother, yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, I, uh, I'm awake generally between 4.30 and 5.30 every morning. And, you know, I roll out of bed, I lay in bed and I say thanks first. And then I roll out of bed and I've got an office set up in my house and I go in and I do a Bible study and I, I read uh, through the Bible every year. And I, uh, there, there's a particular pastor that I listen to, and um, I spend about an hour to hour and a half in the morning in Scripture, mm -hmm. and then I say my prayer, and I make sure that, you know, God knows that I would like him to bless my family and my friends and remember those that are hurting, and he knows what's heavy on people's hearts and just ask that he answer those prayers. And then I start watching, you know, business news and, you know, getting ready. Yeah. But it just kind of sets the stage for the rest of my day. And I will tell you that the, uh, the, the Warrior uh, podcast that, that Dom and, and Bobby did have really touched me. And I was doing my Bible study before that. But the thing that I've done during the, and I'm not ashamed to say this because it, it, it's going to make it uh, credible, I guess. During the pandemic, I got up to 300 pounds. And I'm down to 270, and I'm still going and joined the gym, and I'm, I'm working on my weight. And, and uh, it's something that I'm focused on. I want to get healthy not only for me but for my family yeah. and for my practice because my, my clients are worried about my health. And so it's important to me, and they, they're comfortable enough to tell me that. Right. And so they're um, that's right. Exactly right. Well, maybe I'm going to have to give you my, like, sales pitch for Peloton. You can join the RFG Peloton uh, community. All right, you mentioned earlier, Sherry, your wife, has joined your practice. She obviously wasn't always working with you. She had a tremendously successful career in television advertising sales and did amazingly well there. How has that been? How has it been bringing your wife into your practice? What have been the benefits? What have been the, the challenges? Sure, sure, that's easy. When she's in the office, She's the boss and I'm out. It's great. <laughs> when I'm in the office, there are times we butt heads a little bit just because we've been together 31 years. Uh, I'd say 33 years, married 31. And, uh, uh, you know, we know each other like the back of our hands and she knows what my hot buttons are and I know what her hot buttons are. 
And so we try not to press those during the day. You know, I, I, I would say the biggest challenge that we have is turning it off. Because we'll get home and I'll be sitting on the couch or we'll be doing something, or we'll be in the car driving somewhere and I'll think, oh, yeah, I forgot to ask you about so-and-so. Or she'll say, oh, yeah, so-and-so called today and they needed blah, blah, blah. I didn't need to tell you about it because I took care of it. And so we don't ever really turn it off. Yeah. And it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing because we, we love what we do. And so it's not terrible, but we do need to have that downtime. And, um, you know, when we go on vacations, we haven't done it over a year for obvious reasons, but um, it's just, it's hard to get away. It's almost like when your kids were really little and you would go out on date night and you had to have that rule, like, all right, we can't talk, we can talk about the kids until the appetizers are served. And then after that, we have to talk about something else. It's almost like you're going to have to start putting those yeah. guardrails back in place because it's so easy, especially in this business where there's always a million things to be done and to be communicated and to follow up on and to, to pursue. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, and I'll circle back around here because um, I, I would say the other big challenge is having been in the business as long as I have in it, so many different places, though things are administrative-wise – Though things, it's different places, a lot of things remain the same. And one of the biggest misconceptions in our industry, I think, is when an advisor's out of the office, he's not working. Right. Okay, we're out playing. And so that bleeds over into my wife. You know, she'll say, like I'm here today, she'll say, well, I'm doing this new account, and I'm having to do this, I'm having to do that, while you're talking to Shannon. You know, or, or you're doing this, you're playing golf, and I'm here doing blah, blah, blah. And so I'll say, you know, let's hire somebody. And she's like, no, I don't want to spend the money. And that makes her be quiet for about two hours, and then we start over again. It's, a, vi- it's a vicious cycle. So, but, no, it's uh, – we get along great. Uh, I, I think I've told you before, but we actually met at, Mer- at uh, Merrill Lynch in 1985 is how we yeah. originally met. And then when we started dating, she quit. We didn't want to work together, so she quit, went and did something else, and – got in the TV advertising business, obviously, and, you know, we just circled back around, and here we are. So well, it's and good. it's exciting to think about, you know, you are, and, and Sherry is really interested in stronger money, and, and thinking about how to serve your, your female clients, how to be really intentional in prospecting, and delivering that financial education, and I'm, I'm really excited because of her background and her network for you two to partner up on that because I'll tell you what you know the feedback that we get is that there is such a huge appetite for women to really become empowered through education and it doesn't mean they want to manage their own money they just want the knowledge Mm -hmm. they want to know that who they're working with is the right partner for them as they plan their life they want to just have context around what does all this jargon mean and I think Sherry's going to be so fantastic, and the two of you partnering up on this is is, is going to be really fun to watch. Well, we're looking forward to it, and, and you know, one of the, uh, kind of tell you a little secret here, but, you know, one of the, probably the most attractive thing to me about Sherry was she's such a strong person, and she is so, um, what's the word I'm looking for, so dedicated, she's so specific, she's so um, motivated that I knew that if I was to walk out here and get hit by a Mack truck, she's going to be fine. She can take care of herself. And uh, she allows me to take care of her, which is is attractive to me. Mm-hmm. But she also, I know that she's very strong. She can take care of herself. And I think the stronger woman thing, you know, is, is absolutely right up her alley. She's 
involved in so many women's groups and things in town that that inevitably she'll be somewhere and they know what I do and they'll ask her something. She'll say, I don't know, we need to ask Mark. And so she gets me connected and, and to get her equipped to say, here, go to this website or here, who's, here's what you need to do. It's going to be, it, it could be practice changing. I can't wait until we have a stronger money sponsored pickleball team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sherry will be the captain. Yeah. She plays uh, twice a week. She plays on Monday nights and Thursday mornings. Yeah. We'll look cute in our little stronger money there you shirts go. and our, there you uh, go. our T-shirts. Well, Mark, it's been so wonderful having you on the War Room Huddle podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me in any time. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided in part by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.